You're listening to Oodles of Financial Advice with Jeremy Oodle. I mean, Udell. Jeremy is a certified financial planner. He's licensed in Florida to sell insurance. He has Series 7, 24, and 65 securities licenses. And he's here to give you Oodles of Financial Advice. I want to start today with an apology. It has been my goal to release one podcast a week since I started doing this. I have recorded at least one podcast per week, but I am also dependent on my compliance department to watch them, let me know if I need to change anything and update anything, and then approve them for dissemination online. Unfortunately, we've had a little bit of turnover in our compliance department, and it has caused a bit of a backlog. I will do my best to record more of these in advance, ideally accounting for a future backlog, but I can't promise. I can only do what I can do, but at the same time, I do apologize that that may disappoint some of you. I also did want to take a moment today to highlight my YouTube channel, Udell in a Nutshell. We actually post some videos from this podcast there. You'll hear me and see me give the takes I've been giving here on the podcast and see what it looks like when I'm recording these videos, if you're interested in that. But I also have some takes on my YouTube channel that aren't on my podcast. I recently did a video about the 4% rule, which is a rule of thumb in retirement about how much you can withdraw safely of your funds in retirement. If you'd like to hear my thoughts on that, that's on my YouTube channel, Udell in a Nutshell. I also talked about what is a fiduciary. Not everyone understands it, but it's been a lot more in the news. Fiduciary, if you would like to know the definition as we see it of a fiduciary, feel free to go to my YouTube channel. And I also recently did a review of The Glass Onion, which is the sequel to the Knives Out movie. If you know the Knives Out movie, it was a murder mystery who done it. Glass Onion was briefly out in theaters and will be out on Netflix as of December 23rd, 2022. I recommend it, but if you'd like to see why, feel go feel free to go check out my YouTube channel. Thanks. I look forward to seeing many of you. And if you are interested in coming to see me live at one of our workshops in 2023, please feel free to reach out to us direct directly at 941 941- Nine five one zero four four three, or shoot me an email, Jeremy at wealthenjoyment.com. I recently had a prospect ask me if I sell whole life insurance. It's a funny question because I get that question a lot and I get a little confused by it because... Whole life insurance as a definition means something different depending on your level of knowledge of the life insurance industry. The layperson, when it comes to financial planning, often hears that whole life insurance is a bad idea. But the person referring to whole life insurance may not be just referring to what we in the industry know whole life insurance to be a very specific type of permanent life insurance. When I clarified the question, did that person mean whole life insurance or permanent life insurance? What I found was that they had been listening to a podcast. And on that podcast, the financial planners were saying that any type of 
Permanent life insurance was a bad idea. Such high fees. People should just be buying term insurance and investing the difference. That has been a rule of thumb around among much of the financial industry for a long time, which the idea being that if you need life insurance, you should just buy term life insurance for whatever death benefit coverage you need. It is the least expensive type of life insurance to purchase. And then take any extra money you have for investments and put it into anything else besides permanent life insurance, which is a terrible investment. High fees, surrender charges. It's only being sold because the insurance agent makes a big commission. No one should be putting money into permanent life insurance. Uh, I found that to be interesting because it's something I've heard a lot and it made me want to address that topic today. Is permanent life insurance a bad investment for most people? Should most people buy term life insurance for whatever death benefit coverage they need? And if they have extra money beyond that for savings, should they put it into other plans, investments, brokerage accounts, cryptocurrency, whatever else they might put it into besides life insurance? The short answer for me is yes. Most people probably should buy their life insurance via term life insurance. If they don't have coverage through work or other places that is enough for their overall benefits, most people should probably just buy term life insurance. And if they have extra money, find other places such as their 401k plan, IRA, or just a account or a savings account, whatever it might be, to simply invest the difference. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And this is coming from someone who likes permanent life insurance and sees a real value to it in a lot of places. But I do have to agree that in my own experience, there have been times where selling a permanent life insurance product to someone who I thought could afford to do it and use it for their own benefit had some drawbacks, especially for younger people who are just starting out on their savings plan. And I want to tell you a couple stories that happened to me. I had one friend who came to me early on when I was starting out and said, Jeremy, I know you're in the financial planning business and I've got this other friend in the financial planning business. I've got about $50,000 or so saved away that I want to go ahead and deploy with the two of you. I want to give you each about 25. And he's with Raymond James. He's going to invest it with them and put it into some of their stocks and funds and things. How would you invest it? And I said, well, you've already got your 401k, right? He said, yes. I said, okay, so this is more of an outside savings plan. And I said, you're not yet married or anything, so you don't necessarily need death benefit, but would you be interested in learning about indexed universal life? It's something you couldn't buy through Raymond James's investment plan unless they sold you an indexed universal life product. It's very different. There are very few ways to buy a rate of return with a true 0% floor year to year and with the upside of some market returns if the market does well. And he liked that idea. The one thing I told him is to make this really work for you, we need to divide that $25,000 up into multiple payments because if you put it all into the insurance contract right away, you create something called a modified endowment contract and that's bad for tax purposes, not to get too far into the weeds. But in the end... I told him, you need to put $5,000 a year into my plan. You can't just put all $25,000 in right away. Unfortunately, his life changed, 
And after putting two payments of $5,000 into my plan, he didn't have any money left over. He had to spend it on things for his house and some other things had come up and he missed his third payment. Now you can make that up. You can put that 5,000 in the following year, but with life insurance, when you start to not follow along with the actual insurance products, what, what your plan was originally, you can exit that product. That's not a great scenario to be in. And unfortunately, because of that, the plan I set up for my friend has suffered in comparison to the Raymond James plan. Now, long-term, because he ended up putting the rest of the money in, I do think it's still going to be a solid plan. He'll get tax deferral. He's got the death benefit and he is married now, so there's value there. And down the line, he'll be able to take his withdrawals out uh, first of his basis, tax-free, and he'll be able to take loans after that. So he'll be able to structure his withdrawals on that in a very tax-preferred scenario. But the rate of return that we were hoping for definitely wasn't as beneficial because he broke the funding pattern. And that's something right off the bat with buying permanent life insurance. You need to stick to the plan. And if you're not sure you're going to be able to, you might end up better off. We have an investment firm that we could have used on my side of the transaction, but I thought I was being smart and diversifying his overall financial picture and buying him something that he couldn't get elsewhere. Unfortunately, unless I had known for a fact he had other funds that he could draw on, I could almost argue he would have been better taking the $5,000 from his friend and putting it into my product and then giving the $5,000 back to his friend later when he had the money because that plan is less likely to be corrupted by those types of funding patterns. If you're not going to have a very consistent ability to fund your life insurance for permanent investment purposes, you are probably better off buying term and investing the difference because the only thing you'll need to pay every year is that much smaller term premium. And then you can put whatever you have available, be it $5,000 or zero, into that investment plan. And the variance in funding pattern won't have nearly as big an effect overall on the overall rate of return. Yes, but in my first segment, I talked about that I agree that most people should buy term and invest the difference. My problem with that is that it usually paints the entire permanent life insurance culture as one of high commissions and high fees, and no one should ever look at life insurance. And as such, it often biases people who would benefit from permanent life insurance from ever considering it. They've been steeped in these arguments of, permanent life insurance is the worst. You should always buy term and invest the difference. Okay, As I said, that is often the case, usually the case for most people in certain circumstances, but there are plenty of circumstances where permanent life insurance does make sense. Right off the bat, I talked about in the first segment how my friend couldn't fund the life insurance policy the way we'd originally intended. However, I've had several clients who have funded the life insurance policy exactly as intended, and they ended up with a diversification on the rest of their investment portfolio with a different tax nature. Many of them did not have Roth contributions available to them. And when it comes to a life insurance product, if you structure the distributions correctly, you can end up with a fairly solid tax-preferred 
income stream that could help for people in higher tax brackets. But even more so, what about for people who have long-term care needs and some life insurance needs? We have a wonderful investment team here that understand the value of investing outside of life insurance. And yet when it came to their long-term care needs, several of them came to us and said, what's with this life insurance with long-term care? That seems like a good deal where I buy a life insurance product that bundles a long-term care rider. And if I need the product for long-term care insurance, it'll pay out a benefit there. But if I don't end up needing it for long-term care, I can use it as a death benefit to my family so I don't lose those premiums with regular long-term care insurance unless you buy a return of premium feature. You pay long-term care premiums. And when you die, if you don't use the benefit, there's nothing left. A little bit like homeowner's insurance or several other type of insurance. If there's never a claim, you pay, you pay, you pay. And then if there's no claim, nobody gets anything back. Life with long-term care, on the other hand, guarantees that if you pay the premium, somebody's getting something. Well, that's an interesting one. How about for estate planning purposes or estate equalization purposes? Sometimes people want to set something up for their kids, either to help offset some taxes down the line, be they estate taxes or income taxes, or they have a child who they want to set up a benefit for specifically for special needs or for spendthrift problems. Oh, did buy term invest the difference? People not mention those? Did they just say those are, are bad things? Would some of them still even argue that you should just keep that invested with me and we'll try and set something up after the fact with some beneficiary designations and with some attorneys? Why would they do that? Why would they actively argue against good solutions? Well, many advisors charge you a fee. We have a client buying a life insurance product to pay estate taxes down the line. They have a lot of money and they're going to put $100,000 a year into their life insurance product to buy millions of benefit inside of a trust. Now, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on how that all sets up, but if they just left that 100000 growing in the account, it would grow in their estate, and it would be taxed at currently a 40% estate tax rate when they died. Whereas if they gift it into a trust and buy some life insurance, it's going to be out of the estate, and they won't pay that estate tax. And again, to find out more about how that's structured, please feel free to reach out. It's very complex. We are not attorneys. We work with attorneys to set up those types of techniques to make sure they're done correctly. But all of that is to say, anyone who's arguing life insurance is a bad idea might be worried about seeing $100,000 amounts coming out of the account. They charge a half a percent, three quarters of a percent, 1% fee on and may not. Now, I'm not saying that's everyone. Some people may honestly feel that way. And I have met plenty of investment people who look at a plan like that and agree that it is best for their clients. So I'm not trying to impugn the entire industry here. But I am saying there is a segment of the industry who argues for buy term, invest the difference, and never tells you any of the exceptions where it makes a lot of sense to buy permanent life insurance. It's been an off year for me in fantasy football. I am in five leagues this year, 
And unfortunately, three of my leagues are basically done. I have not done well in them. My hopes and dreams for having great years in three of those leagues went down the drain fairly quickly. Two of them especially, I really had a rough time in. And in one of those leagues, when you finish last place, you wear the dress. Well, next year, in August... At our draft, yours truly will be wearing a dress to the draft. I'm hoping to wear something pretty that really accentuates my feature so that my friends really get a kick out of watching the person who is the commissioner of that league and failed so spectacularly put on something nice and strut around for them as we draft next year. And I will be hoping that regardless of that, I won't be distracted and will draft a better team this year. I wasn't distracted. I can't put it on distractions. I just had a bad year. Pretty much everybody I liked for having a good NFL season this year was at best mediocre compared to what I thought. Many were actually bad compared to what I thought. For those who are in the know about fantasy football, I drafted A.J. Dillon in several of the leagues, and he hasn't performed the way I hoped. I drafted Cortland Sutton, who has been a disappointment for me. I drafted Robinson on on the Rams, a wide receiver. Boy, he was projected to have a great year this year. Man, has he been a disappointment. So yeah, I've had some really bad drafts this year. However, I do have one league that was new this year, a guillotine league. I'd never heard of it before this year, but basically what it is, is that every week the lowest scoring team drops out of the league and all of their players go back into the free agent pool, meaning you can pick up all the guys that had been on their team. It was a really interesting league. There started with 16 teams. And as I sit here today in the second to last week of the year, I am sitting pretty at likely being in the final game where I will either finish first or second in this new guillotine league. So that's exciting. Worked out really differently. I drafted a little differently in that league with so many more teams than usual. Usually I have 10 to 12 teams, so 16 was a lot. But it was a really fun league. I do have one other league I joined this year through Advisors Excel, who is my uh, IMO. They set the uh, a fun league up that I'm enjoying, but uh, otherwise it's been kind of a rough year in fantasy. How has your fantasy football year been? Do you play fantasy football? Do you want to know more about fantasy football? Do you just want to tell me how great your team did compared to mine or commiserate with me over a rough draft that left you in a tough place for next year. Feel free to reach out to me. Shoot me an email, jeremy at wealthenjoyment.com or call me 941-951-0443. And I wish all of you who made it to the fantasy football playoffs great success in all of your matchups. That's all for the podcast today. I want to thank my sister, Megan Udell, who has done such an amazing job at producing these podcasts for me and making sure they get through compliance as quickly as possible. None of this is on her. She has been a champ at taking these recordings I make and optimizing them, putting them together to make them more interesting for you to listen to without having some of the worst moments of my podcast to distract you. I want to thank the entire team at Udell Associates. 
and wish all of you a really happy holiday season. I look forward to seeing many of you next week as I put together another podcast. As I said, I also have my YouTube channel. You can find out more about me there on the Udell in a Nutshell podcast. I'm sorry, YouTube channel. And you can also get, if you are interested, feel free to reach out about uh, my, the book I co-authored with Bruce Udell, my father, Retire Happily Ever After. If you are interested in any of that, please reach out to us. Shoot me an email, jeremy at wealthenjoyment.com, or call us, 941-951-0443, or find us on social media, Facebook, or Instagram, or LinkedIn. We look forward to talking to you, and I look forward to talking to you again, hopefully next week, when I'll have more oodles for your noodle.